John chapter 20, starting with verse number 1, the Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and came to the sepulchre, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre, and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, as we begin now to, to preach on this uh, great subject, Lord, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this is our blessed hope. Uh, we know the rapture being that blessed hope, dear God, but this is our hope of, of Christianity, Lord. All of it hinges on this resurrection. If you're not uh, alive and risen, dear God, then we are a hopeless people. But I thank you that we serve not a dead God, we serve not an idol, but we serve the living uh, Lord Jesus Christ, alive forevermore. Bless our hearts tonight, forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and meet with us now as we uh, seek to preach your word, Lord. Give us that anointing we stand in need of. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we come here tonight, uh, we begin the subject here, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, as we're coming, we're getting to the place where we're coming close to the close of the Gospel of John there, a tremendous book, one that, that shows from no other, pers like no other perspective the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as He comes here, <clears throat> we come to this subject of the resurrection. And again, this is the greatest day in history. Not just the, the birth of Christ, not just the, the crucifixion, but the resurrection, because if the birth of God, uh, had it not been for that resurrection, the birth and the life and the death of Christ would have meant nothing. That's right. Paul said, if, if He's not alive, we're of all men most miserable. If, if our only hope is in this life, then we are of all men most miserable. What he was saying is, if, if all we have to look forward to is this life, then it's not worth living as far as, as the, uh, the gospel is concerned and what the cost is. He said, but thanks God, uh, God, He's alive, He's risen there. Now, uh, again, the most important day in all of history is this resurrection here. And as we begin to look at it, what we'll see here, especially as we look at three uh, specific gospels in particular, but all four uh, deal with them there, what we see here is apparent contradictions. Uh, we have a, it seems like things are out of order. It seems like one gospel says this person came to the grave first and this person afterward. And friends, there's no contradiction when we begin to look at it and rightly divide it when we compare all four of them there. And it's important that we begin to do this. But as we see here, uh, we look at one again, the most beautiful day in all of history when Christ arose victorious over that grave there. Now, I want to point out something. As we look here in John chapter 20 and verse number 1 there, the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene came early when it was yet dark. When we look over in the book of, of Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 1 there, the same account there, it said there, uh, as it began to dawn there, the, the light was chasing away there. Now as we look in, in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 2, it says, at the rising of the sun, the light coming up there. Friends, it seems like again that there is a contradiction. 
It seems like John is saying she came when it was still dark. She came before daylight. Matthew said she comes at the dawn there when it's beginning to uh, lighten up. Mark says she comes after the light had come there, after the sun had risen. Friends, what we see here is one of the greatest pictures of what that resurrection means to you and I. Mary, when she had first awoke there in the Gospel of John, no doubt counting an earlier time at the beginning of her journey from her home when it was still dark there, but as she began there, friends, that darkness is symbolic of the fact that in the back of her mind she thought that her Savior was gone forever, never to rise again. She thought He was eternally dead. There was a broken heart there. There would have been that brokenness uh, that she come there, the one that, uh, that had chased those demons out of her, that had cast those devils out of her, her, the one that had come and healed her and gave her life and wholeness of body, the one that she had loved for that earthly ministry and stood beside that cross and watched Him die. Now she's coming in her last hope there with brokenheartedness is to come and to anoint that body just to, uh, to try and do Him one honor before she no longer sees Him again. And as it's yet dark there, uh, brokenhearted friends, as she begins to go on that journey, that light begins to rise, that dark starts to dawn, and that sun begins to come up there. Friends, that teaches about the peace of God which passeth all understanding. She had no idea as of yet that Christ was alive. She had no idea that that stone would be rolled back. She didn't know how she was going to get to the body of Jesus. She didn't know how she was going to anoint that body there. All she knew was that she wanted to go and see Him just one more time, friends. That's the peace of God even when the storm is raging, even when we don't know how things are going to work out. When we begin to walk towards Him, when we draw close to Him, friends, He gives peace and and that light begins to shine in. What an awesome God we serve. And then if she got to that tomb, the Bible says that sun had come up. And all of a sudden, it's the dawning of a brand new day. She got there. And to her amazement, that stone is rolled away. She still didn't understand all that was going on. But she knew Jesus wasn't in that tomb. She knew that He was not there. Now she, uh, again, she didn't know all that was going on. But boy, that light began to shine. Friends, aren't you glad? That when we get to God and we get closer to Him, we might not understand all of it. But the closer we get to Him, the brighter that light shines. That sun is risen. And thank God for His grace. Friends, Psalm 30 and verse number 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. There, friends, she got close to the one that she knew would help her. Now, I want to look, before we dive into this chapter here, I want us to understand several things. We're going to look at the order of events that take place here. And I'll give us some uh, seven particular orders that take place on that early resurrection morning. And then ten particular appearances of Christ after the resurrection uh, that are in order there. And we'll give uh, scripture uh, uh, notations and scripture quotations so that we can be able to rightly divide that. But uh, one thing we want to point out there, uh, I want you to notice Arthur Pink said this. He said, we cannot make too much of the death of Christ, but we can certainly make too little of His resurrection. Uh, I thought that's amazing. When we think about uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that rising there, this was a work that involved all three parts of the Trinity there. This is a work there that is associated, the rising of Christ there is associated with all three parts there. It is prophesied all the way back in Genesis 3.15 there. Uh, when we look there and it says, The serpent shall bruise his heel. 
Right. When things, uh, things are written in Scripture in particular order, it's not by accident there. It says uh, the, the serpent would bruise his heel, but after that he shall bruise thy head, friends. After he arose from the dead, after Calvary, say, uh, Satan was there crushed when Jesus rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. I can only imagine what that bright morning was like. I can only imagine that in, in uh, the spiritual realm there, there was every demon uh, that was available was summoned to that very tomb there. Satan knew the Scriptures. He he knew Christ said He would rise after three days there. And here He is there. I can imagine Him gathered around that tomb there doing all He could to stop the rising of Christ there. But friends, thank God when the sun came up and began to rise there and God had already told Him that Christ was going to rise up victorious and that life was going to come back in Him. Friends, when that sun began to come up, so did the Son of God. He began to move there and all of hell could not keep Him down. Amen. What an amazing thing to think about tonight. Friends, Satan is strong, but he has nothing on our God. As we begin to see that, I want to point out just a couple of verses here uh, that again show that this work uh, was a part not only of, of one part of the Trinity, but of all three parts there. In John 10, 17, and 18 there, when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, He's speaking of laying His life down. Uh, he goes on to say, Therefore doeth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. He said, I will take that life back again. Here is Christ there, the Son of God, uh, being able to do that. When we look over in Romans 6 and verse number 4 there, the Bible says, Therefore we are buried with, it, with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we walk in that newness of life. Just as Christ was raised by the glory of the Father, so you and I, again, it is the part of all three there in the Trinity. Now as we look here in Romans 8 and verse number 11, but if the Spirit Spirit of him that hath raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Friends, it is all three persons in the Trinity there God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that are all three involved. In the redeeming, uh, the redeeming act of man there. All three involved in that resurrection there. All three involved in that life, friends. You cannot split uh, the triune God there. And all three worked together when it came to the rising uh, of Christ there on that third day. Now friends, I want you to notice the order here. We're going to look at seven things uh, very quickly here. The order of events at that resurrection morning there. Uh, the first event that took place. The first group there you have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome there, the, the woman Salome there. All three of these women, uh, they go out to this, uh, they decide to go out. To go to the tomb there to be able to anoint the body of Christ. Now these women again, uh, it's, it's a tremendous, it shows a tremendous dedication to Christ. These are the same women that were present at the cross. It amazes me when even his apostles and many of his disciples were hiding out for fear. Here are these women and they watched that crucifixion. They have stood beside the Lord Jesus Christ from the beginning all the way to the end there. And they're going to be the first ones that Christ is revealed to. Now, uh, they come out there with a desire to see Him, to desire to anoint that body there. They have no idea how they're going to remove this stone. This stone would have been very large. Uh, a groove would have been cut in order for that stone to sit back and to seal against that tomb. It would have been something that would have been very heavy, uh, almost impossible to move. That, that ceiling would have put it uh, to where 
It would have took a great deal of strength and even uh, it would have taken some tools to be able to break that loose and move it out of the way. On top of that, you have a Roman guard of soldiers that is placed in front of it. So this is almost an insurmountable and impossible task, but yet their desire to be there uh, shows that their love for Christ, their dedication, they wanted to honor Him just one more time there. And they come there with a desire again uh, to anoint that body there. These women there uh, would have come there secondly and they would have seen the stone rolled away. Now, as, as we look here in verse number 1, it says, When it is yet dark under the sepulchre, they seeth the stone rolled away there. The word seeth is the same word uh, I saw there in verse number 5 that is used, and what it means to glance over. All right, they saw this from a distance. Now, this would have brought about a tremendous uh, concern of what was going on here. This would have brought about a great amount of confusion. Uh, their, their first thought as we look here, uh, Mary's first thought was that someone broke in and stole the body of Christ. Now as we come here, again, there is no contradiction between the Gospels. What happened at this point, the next thing that would have happened in order here, is that Mary Magdalene, the one that led up this group, she, had, she broke off from the other women there and ran back to go and to tell Peter and John there uh, that someone had stole the body of Christ. She did not wait around to see what happened. She didn't walk up to the front of that tomb and see what was going on. She immediately uh, took off the other direction and went for Peter and John there. And the other women began to go up there. And as they came up, all right, as those women came to the, uh, walked up to that tomb there, no doubt out of curiosity of what was going on there, they would have seen that stone rolled away and they would have seen those angels that were sitting there. That is when those angels would have gave them the message that reassured them that Christ was risen there. They heard that before Mary had heard that there, uh, Mary the mother of James there and, and Salome would have heard that and they would have gone back to tell the other disciples. Now, uh, after they had left there, heard that message and left, right at that time Peter and John had been told about uh, the fact that Mary Magdalene had told them that this body was missing, that, that their Savior was missing and they would have run to see there again. They had thought in the back of their mind that someone had stole the body. So they would come there and they would look and they would try and investigate what was going on and they would come to try and uh, reaffirm there that, that what, was what was told to them was really happening and they would have looked and they would have seen uh, that this tomb was empty there. Now Mary Magdalene again returned uh, unto the sepulcher there after they had come, after they had seen that. Peter and John we know went in. They saw something that, that, that absolutely baffled them. They saw the grave clothes, and we'll look at that in a minute there. Now remember, uh, when we're talking about those grave clothes, this is something that would have almost been a, a type of, of mummification close to it there. It would have been wrapped very tightly. Right? The fact that they saw these grave clothes there, and they were unmoved, that means they were still in the form of how they had been laid there. All right? And that body not inside them. No doubt this would have uh, brought shock and awe unto, uh, unto Peter and John. Then. Now, most Bible scholars believe that John was much younger than Peter. John uh, easily outran him to the tomb there, but John out of uh, fear and reverence would not go in. Peter uh, took a step in and John later came in after that. But as they begin to see this, right, they begin to see what is going on here, they realize that this body was not taken. Something was going on there. That napkin that went over the face would have been folded. Yeah. To roll, roll it up literally means that it would have been folded up and would have been set aside. That was very significant in Jewish customs. As they began to see this, they were convinced they knew that the body of Christ had not been stolen there. When I say it was very significant, right? when a Jewish person would go to a meal, right? if they had to get up and leave that table, 
if they were done and they were not planning to return, they would take the napkin that would be placed in their lap there, they would take it and they would ball it up and they would throw it on top of that plate so that the server would look there and see, okay, they're not coming back, and they'd pick that plate up and they'd take it away. Now, if they came there and they had to get up and leave the meal, but intended to come back, that napkin would be neatly folded. And it would be placed off to the side there, signifying that they would be returning there. Christ there, again, He folded that napkin up perfectly, set it off to the side there, signifying He was coming back. They knew something had happened there. They knew that something was going on now, as Mary there again, uh, after they had left. Now remember, the reason that they are going very quickly back and forward, because it's very dangerous. All right? To be associated with, this, uh, with Christ at this time could have cost you your life. That's why the disciples were hiding out. That's why uh, the, the ladies came early in the morning before the crowd would have been, awo- uh, would have been awake. It was a very, a very treacherous ground to be on, so they would have been very quick getting in and out. Mary Magdalene, again, out of concern, returns to, this, uh, to the tomb there, to the sepulcher there. And as she stood there weeping there, I remember she had not heard the angel's message to the other ladies there. As she stood there weeping, it wasn't just an angel that came to her, but it was Christ. Christ revealed Himself to her. She turned around and she she believed Him to be the gardener. And when He called her by name, He said, Mary, she turns around and she answers Rabboni there, our master, teacher. She knew who He was. He comes there and He comforts her and tells her to go there to His disciples. Go there and speak to those disciples there. And as we see that the other women were on their way back there, uh, Matthew 28 verses 9 and 10 there tell us uh, that as, as the other women were on their way back to the disciples, Jesus appeared to them also. Now again, the order of these events, it has to be taken in all four Gospels, have to be brought into account. And in doing that, you can see that there is no contradiction that takes place there. It was a very rapid series of events. It would have been something that happened quickly because again, fear of, of imprisonment or death. It would have been something that uh, caused a great alarm. Uh, the fact that they come and, and the, the tomb, the stone had been rolled away and the body was gone would have caused them to run with haste to go and find the disciples. Uh, the fact that uh, well, as soon as they heard it, uh, Peter and John ran there would have shown uh, that there was a great concern about what was going on. It, it would have been done again very quickly and it would have been something that happened in, in a rapid succession there. Not only do we see that the order of those events... But we see also uh, there, there are Christ's appearances there uh, after the resurrection. We'll look at that more in detail uh, when we get to, uh, to John 20, verse 16. He uh, first of all appears to Mary Magdalene. Where he comes there and he speaks to her when she comes back to that tomb. Uh, the next time he is seen there... It's to the women that are on their way, returning from the tomb, going to the disciples. Uh, The following time after that, He appears unto Peter, Luke 24, and verse number uh, 34 tells us that He appears to Peter very briefly. We read about that also in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5. He appears to the disciples next on the Emmaus Road. After that, He appears to the, the disciples in the locked room when Thomas is not present. A week later, He comes back to Thomas. And he, appear, or he comes back to the disciples, appears to them when Thomas is there. We know the story. He says, take your hand, uh, take your finger, put it in my hand, take your hand, put it in my side. He gives himself a multiple appearances. There are at least ten appearances uh, that he comes before him there. He appears to the seven by the Sea of Galilee in John 21. After Peter said, I go a-fishing, he comes in and he appears to the apostles uh, and he appears to them before uh, the above 500 witnesses at one time. They had all seen Him. They had all seen the resurrected Christ. 
Uh, he gives many, again, many appearances there. Uh, he appears to James. As we looked there, this would have been Christ's half-brother. That's significant there because James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the author of the book of James, of the epistle of James. He is also the one that becomes the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. It's extremely significant because at first, James did not believe Christ. He, didn't, uh, he, he did not receive Him as the Messiah. He rejected Him, even mocked Him, as we look earlier in the, in the Gospel of John there. But later on, after he sees Him uh, resurrected, he, he realizes who He is there. He, no doubt He knew of the uh, account of, of His brother's death better than anybody else would have there. But we also see, last of all, He appears uh, in His ascension uh, right before, uh, before He's brought into the clouds, or uh, the ascension of Christ as we look there. Uh, Mark 16, 19, and 20 tells us that. Luke 24, uh, 44 through 52, and also Acts 1, uh, 3 through 12 there tells us about the ascension of Christ, that final time when He arises again. And He goes up to be seated on the right hand of the Father. All of these, you say, preacher, why does all of that matter? One, the order of it matters so we realize that there's no contradiction. But most importantly, when we see the appearances, ten times, that Christ comes and appears no less than ten times before the multitude, what He is doing is proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that there, is, that there was no doubt in their mind that Christ was alive. He knew what they were going to face. He knew the persecution that was going to come to Christianity there, uh, to the Christian church for the next uh, 300 years before the legalization of Christianity. There was going to be great persecution. There was going to be extremely hard times there. He knew that the apostles, all apart from the apostle John, would all be martyred for their faith. And it wasn't because they didn't try and kill John, but uh, God protected him and preserved him. And he later on died of old age. But all of these things testify to the fact that Jesus was protecting him. That Jesus was showing Himself, was proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that He is alive. Now, uh, there's a reason for that even today. One of the the things that is mocked, one of the things that is challenged, uh, one of the things that is is even doubted the most today is the resurrection of Christ. That is something that if you can disprove the resurrection, then you could have disproved all of Christianity. Remember, all the Jews would have had to do to disprove all of Christ's claims and all of His teachings, only thing they would have had to do was produce a body after three days. Because Jesus said over and over again, in three days I will rise again. The Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, into the hands of the Jews, He shall be crucified, and in three days I will rise again. Had they been able to produce a body after those three days, then everything Christ had ever said, taught, and done would have been of no value. They could have looked and said, see, he is a liar. He's dead. He's not one that we can follow after. There are those today, we read about it, and as a matter of fact, the Gospel gives an account about it, uh, that the Jews there paid the Roman soldiers, that they were paid to say that somebody came and stole the body away. Some have, uh, there's, they have a, a, theory, or some, a theory among some Jews is that they simply forgot where Christ was placed. That they put Him, that they went to the wrong tomb and that His, his body is still in another tomb. Friends, the foolishness of that is, is beyond understanding. For several reasons. I'll give you this and we'll close there. Um, if, if the body of Christ could have been stolen, then you would have had to have someone, a group, either a large enough group or someone that was extremely, extremely strong in order to get past the Roman guards that were in front of that tomb, move the stone, take the body of Christ, and get away without being arrested. 
That would have been something that was impossible. These Roman guards, right? uh, Pilate said, go make it as, as sure as you can. Go secure it as much as you can. These Roman guards would have been the most trained people at that time. They would, they would have been the most advanced. They would have been very strong with their weapons. They would have been the strongest army. And this guard that was placed in front of that tomb would have been an amazing group to try and overcome. Especially for some poor fishermen and a tax collector to try and do it. It would have been an impossible task for them. Secondly, the fact that someone says that they simply forgot where Christ was placed. Friends, understand something. The Jews had every intention to go back after those three days and to show that body still there. The Jews had every intention to go back. They knew exactly where He was placed, and they had every desire, every thought, it was every fiber of their being that could not wait for those three days to be over because they were going to come back, and they were going to show that body, and they were going to display to the world that Christ was a liar. They knew exactly where he was. They came to Pilate. They ordered. They asked Pilate to set the guard there. Uh, that guard was set directly in front of him. There is no way on this earth that they could have misplaced where Christ was or they could have put a, a, a wrong place there, friends, they, they, or they could have picked something wrong there. The fact of the matter is uh, when they came and they realized that this grave was empty, uh, not only the fact that the stone was rolled away, that would have been a miracle in itself. Not only the fact that uh, the soldiers had been overtaken, that would have been a great work within itself. But the fact that that body was no longer there and those grave clothes lay perfectly intact showed the sovereignty and the divinity of God and the fact that Jesus Christ rose again victorious over death on the grave. Uh, You think about it, I'll give this example. When you look at uh, John 11 and you have Lazarus there, even when Lazarus was, was raised from the dead, Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, He told those that were with Him, say, go and loose Him. Lazarus would have been wrapped so tight, He would not have been able to move. He would have had to have someone help Him get out of that. The fact that Christ got out of those grave clothes and was able to leave them perfectly intact shows the fact that He is 100% God. That resurrection tonight is our only hope. Apart from the resurrection, you and I, if Christ is dead, friends, you and I are hell-bound. It wouldn't have mattered His his virgin birth. It wouldn't have mattered His sinless life. None of it, it wouldn't have mattered His uh, his sacrificial death. None of it would have meant a thing had Christ still been in that grave. And as Paul said, we we would be of all men most miserable. But thank God tonight we serve a risen Savior. No one else can claim that. You can go today and you can go to the body and you can see the you can go to the tombs and you can see the bodies of of supposed gods in the past. You can see Muhammad, uh, the the prophet that made himself and presented himself better than Christ. You can see uh, the the tombs of Confucius. You can see those of uh, of Joseph Smith there and you can see uh, those of of uh, all of those that that uh, come before there that that proclaim themselves to be gods. Their bodies are still there. But Christ physically arose. And because He arose, you and I today have that blessed hope that we also will rise. That we'll be given that glorified body and that we'll be like our Savior there. Uh, that death it has literally no hold for us. It is nothing more than a doorway. That's a blessed hope tonight. That's something that we can stand on. That even though when we sit here and we talk about these prayer requests and these cancers and we talk about uh, these deaths and these funerals, thank God that if that person was saved, 
By the grace of God, they're not hurting anymore. They're alive forevermore. And one day we'll be alive with them and we'll spend that time and there'll be no separation tonight. That's our hope tonight. The lost don't have that. Anyone apart from Christ doesn't have that. He conquered death, hell, and the grave for you and I. And because He lives, so will we. Friends, let's all stand tonight, heads bowed and eyes closed.